0: I'm guessing that there have been moments in your life when you have experienced real joy. I mean, when the laughter just came out, when the smile was as big as Texas, and and you were just excited about the moment you found yourself in. For some of us, that was last Sunday night when the Eagles lost, and I know you're excited about that. (laughs) My team won. That was an exciting moment to come off the couch and be in the moment. But maybe some of us have some, some deeper feelings when it comes to joy, honestly. You remember the moment that she said yes, and you stood in front of God and all of your friends, and together you took some vows, and you started your journey together, and you remember that day like it was yesterday, and you think, man, that was a joyful moment in my life. Or maybe it was the moment that you stood in that delivery room and held your firstborn in your hands, and that smile was on your face that nobody could wipe away, and you thought, wow, parenthood, what have I done? Uh, but it was a beautiful moment and you had a lot of joy in the moment. Maybe it was an accomplishment that, that you thought you'd never get there. You paid off that student loan or you got through school itself or, or whatever it might have been. You, you accomplished that thing and it brought some joy to your life. I don't know what your story looks like exactly, but my guess is that we've all had those moments of joy. David, in the text that we're going to look at this morning in Psalm 16, if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me there. Our text will also be on the screen this morning. But David says, all through his life, whether he's found himself in a valley moment or at the pinnacle, at the top of a mountain, that real joy comes from the presence of God. And if you believe that, say Amen. amen. I mean, God's presence in our life means so incredibly much. It moves us through every single day. And this year, we're kind of focusing on this idea of fixing our eyes on Jesus. What is it going to take in my life to, to not be distracted by the world around me, but to focus on the one who can actually bring me joy and peace and unconditional love, forgiveness, and, and a life with him eternal? That's Jesus Christ. And we want to focus our life and our eyes on him. My guess is if I, if I were to set up a spectacle, a spectrum of joy here on the, on the stage. If we had zero down here and 100 on this end, with zero being no joy at all and 100 being the most joy you possibly could imagine, my guess is right now today that you might be able to kind of plug yourself in here. And on a Sunday morning, maybe you have a little more joy than, than maybe the rest of your week looks like because you're with God's people, you're singing praises, we're around the Lord's table, we hear great news like we did from David Graves this morning uh, about uh, his ability to provide for his daughter. And, and you plug yourself in, maybe today it's a 63, but Monday morning going to work, it's more like a 47. I don't know what it would look like for you, but you can, you can plug yourself in there. And there are things that you do in your life that bring you more joy as well. Maybe you found that specific niche in the workplace, and you you get paid for doing what you love to do, and that brings you a lot of joy. Maybe for you, it's just being out in nature. Maybe being on that mountainside or or biking the trail or or tenting overnight somewhere in God's creation, man, that does it for you, and that brings you incredible joy in your life. Maybe it's just making the decision in your life, I'm not going to deal with negative people. I just want positive people in my life, folks who are going to walk with me and journey with me, overlook my, my faults, and we're going to be in this thing together. Maybe for you, it's, you, you found that hobby that you really do enjoy, and that brings you some joy when you're kind of in the middle of that. But David's going to remind us in our psalm this morning where to find true joy and happiness in your life. David is going to reveal to us some things that he's experienced along the way. And David, like his son Solomon, who will eventually write the book of Ecclesiastes, are going to say much the same thing. David is one of those characters in history that has experienced everything that a human probably could. He has been at a low spot, but then he becomes the king of Israel. He leads a nation. He's God's chosen and anointed He's got all the wealth that comes with that position. He's led armies. He's conquered other nations. He's had loves in his life. He's had kids. He's enjoyed fine food and relaxing days. I mean, he's experienced everything. But what David reveals to us in this text is that nothing compares to being in the presence of God. No matter what is going on in your life, no matter what you believe brings me the most joy, David says, God's presence is what brings me the most joy. It's the real thing. Let's jump into our text, Psalm 16, beginning in verse 1. David says, keep me safe, O God, for I have come to you for refuge. I said to the Lord, you are my master, every good thing I have comes from you. The godly people in the land are my true heroes, I take pleasure in them. Troubles multiply for those who chase after other gods. I will not take part in their sacrifices of blood or even speak the names of their gods. Lord, you alone are my inheritance, my cup of blessing, you guard all that is mine. The land you have given me is a pleasant land. What a wonderful inheritance. I will bless the Lord who guides me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. I know the Lord is always with me. I will not be shaken, for he is right beside me. No wonder my heart is glad and I rejoice. My body rests in safety. For you will not leave my soul among the dead or allow your holy one to rot in the grave. You will show me the way of life, granting me the joy of your presence and the pleasures of living with you forever. Man, that's powerful, isn't it, church? I mean, to be reminded that God's presence is such a blessing, that we find peace in his presence. But as we kind of move through this particular chapter in Psalm, David reminds us all along the way that there are some things that we think at times bring us joy, but actually don't bring us joy. And then he'll finish up talking about God. And so the very first thing that he reminds us of is that joy is not found in yourself. Joy is not found in you. And there have been numerous times in my lifetime that I put my faith in myself and I've come up short every single time. I mean, I don't know about you in your life, but there are moments when I have said, this is what I'm going to do, this is my game plan, this is the direction I'm going to go without consulting God in the process, and I've fallen flat on my face. David understands how important it is to have God as a part of those conversation moments. And he reveals to us kind of the intricate journey that he's had toward God by using three different names for God in the first two verses. And the very first word that he uses is the very generic name for God, E-L in the Hebrew, L. It's just that, that idea that there is a powerful being out there, there's a God that cares for me, and I love him, but we we're not that close. I trust him, I respect him but he's out there distant from me. David began early on in his life to take refuge in this very powerful God. But then he moves almost right away to a very personal name for God. In your English translation, it probably says the word Lord in all caps, L-O-R-D in all caps. And anytime you see that in your Bible, it's the very personal covenantal name of God. And it can mean Jehovah or Yahweh, either one. Now, most of us remember the story of of Moses. Moses is raised in the palace of the king of Egypt, but soon discovers that he is actually an Israelite. And so as he is discovering this and trying to decide what to do with that information, one day he's out and about and he sees one of his fellow Israelites being beaten by one of the Egyptian soldiers. And he goes over to kind of intervene, but ends up killing the Egyptian soldier and he buries him. The very next day, there's another argument between two Israelites. And as he approaches them to kind of intervene, they say, are you going to kill us like you did the Egyptian yesterday? And he panics. Moses runs away. And he runs to this area called Midian, where he begins to work for this nomadic shepherd tending sheep, and he's there for about 40 years. He eventually marries this guy's daughter, starts a family in a home. He's not looking for anything much different in his life. And suddenly one day he's out near the mountain of God, Mount Horeb, and in the distance as he's tending the sheep, he sees a bush that is on fire, but it's not burning up. And so out of curiosity, he goes over. And when he gets to where the bush is located, God's voice says, take your shoes off for you're on holy ground. And Moses does that very thing. And they begin a conversation. And God reveals to Moses that you're my chosen vessel to go and deliver my people out of Egypt. Well, Moses has got every, every excuse in the book. I mean, I've got bridge on Tuesday night The dentist on Wednesday morning. I mean, he just goes through the whole gamut, right? He can't go until finally he says, well, even if I did go, God, who would I tell those folks is sending me? Who has the power to release the Israelites? And God says, I am that I am. That's what you tell them. That's who is sending you. And in Hebrew, that name is Yahweh. It's the first time we see the personal name of God, and that's what David uses here in the text. A very personal name. And David is saying, "Look, you saved me when I barely knew you, God. But now that we've gotten closer, and I know you personally, you're still saving me. As a matter of fact, we're even closer than that personal name that you have, God. You're actually my Adonai, which is the third name that He uses for God, Adonai, which means you're my instructor, you're my master." In other words, God, I'm giving everything to you. I trust you. We are so close that I'm leaning into you for everything in life. And we're reminded through David's words that if God isn't your refuge, then you're trusting in something far less reliable than an almighty God. We might act out that we are close to God on a Sunday morning, that he is our refuge. But in the day-to-day stuff, when things get difficult, when we find ourselves in chaotic moments, where is it that you run to? Last week, we talked a little bit about talking to those close to us, but leaving God out of the conversation, and how important it is to include him in those prayer moments, those daily conversations about where you are in life. Because the truth is, some of us Don't look to God for our refuge. We just dig into whatever else is going on in our life. For some of us, we just simply work harder, don't we? We go in early and we stay late and we bring work home. That way we can kind of dull the senses to what's actually going on in our life rather than looking to the refuge that is God. For some of us, we just immerse ourselves in that hobby that we've Adopted, And so while we're not at work or maybe with the family, every waking moment, we're out on the lake or we're on the golf course or whatever it is that you have decided to do. For some of us, we work out all the time. We go to the gym. That's not where I go, but maybe some of you do. I mean, some of us love that euphoric feeling after that three-mile run, don't we? And we make sure that happens every day because that makes me feel good about myself. Some of us are consumed with consuming food to dull the pain or maybe it's alcohol. For for some of us, maybe we, we look at the refuge of our kids or our spouse or maybe even our parents and so we pour into them to kind of sidetrack us or detract us from what's going on really in life. And David is saying, no, no, God. You are my refuge. You're everything to me. Because what we find out in verse 2 it reminds me that anything good that is in me didn't come from me everything good in my life comes from an incredible God a wonderful heavenly father the Holy Spirit has given all of us gifts and talents along the way but if it weren't for God church we wouldn't have anything would we And Paul knows this too, because as he writes the church in Corinth in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 7, he asks these questions. Paul says, What do you have that God hasn't given you? And if everything you have is from God, why boast as though it were not a gift? Even Paul is reminding us that every good thing comes from the Father of heavenly lights, that everything we have in life is from an incredible God, not from me. David goes on to say, you also will not find joy in bad companions. The New Testament kind of dichotomizes people. There are either people who believe or don't believe. There are saints and there are sinners. But just remember, saints are simply people who've accepted the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's nothing that you've done. It's everything that Jesus has done that's made us that way, right? Everything that Jesus has done in our life is what makes us pure and holy before an almighty God. And David says he delights to spend time with people who are godly, who want to follow God to to the end of the earth. They want their life to represent him well. And David is saying, look, there are either people who follow God or don't follow God. That's it at the end of the day. Practically speaking, some of us can't find joy in our life because you have some friendships that don't follow God. You've got some friendships that don't care much about aligning themselves with how God's called us to live. And you might say on, on, the, on the heels of that comment, well, are we supposed to be with the world and show them the light that is within us, that comes from Jesus Christ? And I would say, absolutely. But those closest to you should have the same goals in life that you have, and that's being more like Jesus Christ. David is saying, look, if you want to be more godly, then hang out with godly people. And when you challenge yourself to to live in that light, you kind of level up on the discipleship, on the discipline that you need in your life. As a matter of fact, Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 33, he says, look, bad company corrupts good character. And David says, look, I've been with folks who are not aligned with God and joy isn't found with them. He goes on in the text and he says, joy is also not found in worldly possessions, in the material things that we kind of garner around ourselves in verses 5 and 6. When Moses had led all the Israelites out of Egypt, he eventually died and then Joshua took over as leader and they began the conquest of Canaan. They began uh, expelling all of the pagan tribes that lived in what we look at now as Israel. And once they had conquered the land, they divvied up the land among the 12 tribes, the 12 brothers, and some of them got big chunks of land, and other got small chunks of land. If you take a look at the very back of your Bible, you'll probably notice a colorful map that kind of depicts where those tribes are located. At the very southern end of Israel is a large chunk of land that belongs to Judah. That's where Jerusalem is located, and inside of his land is where Simeon got allocated his land. Up near the Sea of Galilee is a very small sliver of land given to Issachar. I guess he wasn't dad's favorite. I don't know, but he got a really small piece. On the other side of the Jordan, down at the south, with the Moabites that are bordering their land is Reuben. But at the end of the day, they all got land, the promised land, 11 brothers. And you're saying, well, weren't there 12? Yes, Levi did not get any land. And as Americans we would look at that and go, well that's not very fair. I mean all the brothers got land, I didn't get any land. You know what's going on with that? We'd be a little upset about that. But if you look at the text, what Levi was given was the presence of God. Levi, your inheritance is God. Levi, your tribe, you're going to be the pastors and priests and worship leaders of the entire nation. You don't get land, you have all the land. <laughs> You belong to God. We're reminded in the text that David says, I have a wonderful inheritance in my God. See, gaining God's presence and losing the treasures of this world is never a consolation prize. When we gain God's presence, church, we've won everything. It's in him that we have life and being and breath and are blessed in our everyday life. You see, a sign of a mature faith is when you realize that God is all you have and when you decide that God is all you want in life. David says, God, you're all that I need. I don't need anything else but your presence. And church, that's my prayer for us, is that we would also have that state of heart. Paul says again in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 6 beginning. True godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into this world, and we can't take anything with us when we leave. So, if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. It's the presence of God that you and I should be longing for in our life, not the accumulation of stuff. I can't bring myself real joy. Being around ungodly people will not bring me joy. Trying to accumulate more stuff in life will not bring me joy. But David goes on to say, real joy is found in God's presence. Real joy is found in God's presence, verses 7 through 11 in our text. Last week we mentioned, you know, life happens when we least expect it. There are chaotic moments, there are difficult, troubled moments And we're typically not prepared, not ready for those moments. But you know what? If you meditate on God's biblical counsel every day, like we challenge each other to do, you'll be prepared when those moments come. And it will be readily available to you when you need it most. I mean, in the text, David even says, even at night, God, you are instructing me. And I begin to ask the question, how is that possible? What does that look like? Even at night, God, you are instructing me. And I'm guessing by, by the reaction from first service that you're with me too, there are some sleepless nights in my life. Have you had those as well? Moments when you wake up at 2 a.m., 3 a.m., 4 a.m. because you're struggling, you're wrestling with something going on in your life. And, and maybe it's a moment for you to, to try to mend a relationship and you're wondering, how can I get that back to where it needs to be? What do I need to do? Or may, maybe it's a, a financial burden that you're carrying. And that unexpected hospital bill or doctor bill came in or the extra taxes on your property and you're trying to figure out how, how do we make ends meet? And take care of what needs to be taken care of. Maybe you're struggling with a health scare that the doctor told you about or maybe a close family member has and you're wondering, what are the next steps? How do I move through that? And there are moments in my life when I wake up at 2 a.m., 3 a.m., 4 a.m. and I slip out of bed and I walk through a dark house with the moonlight streaming through the windows and I just pray and pray that God would reveal to me how best to deal with the situation at hand. Like you, I lean on Scripture a lot for encouragement. And I almost always go to to Isaiah chapter 41 and verse 10, where God reminds me, don't be afraid for I am with you. Don't be discouraged for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. That's powerful, isn't it, church? To know that you've got a God who knows your story who's walking with you, who will never turn his back on you, who will be with you in the darkest of moments. And when we make a decision to be a part of his wise counsel in the Bible, it'll come to us freely, even in the moments when we least expect it. There are moments when God's counsel comes over us. And we long for that and hope for that and want for that. I mean, have you ever had those unexpected conversations in life? You you weren't ready for that, uh, and suddenly the friend over coffee or over lunch is expressing something to you, and they have a theological question, or, or they're wondering why something is going on in their particular life. And suddenly in the conversation that you weren't expecting to have, you're remembering the wise biblical counsel you've been attending to you've been prayerful about, it just comes to you and you're able to offer advice based upon what you've heard in Scripture. Church, that's the Holy Spirit working in your life. That's Him helping you recall a direction that you need to go with the person that's in front of you. And David says, because I've tried to be that person, I rest safely because of your presence. I rejoice because of your presence. My heart is glad because of your presence. And I know that each and every one of us could echo those words because of how we've seen God work in our lives. And David eventually gets to verse 11, where we're reminded that walking in God's path brings a joy unrivaled by any other direction. That walking in God's path is how we're called to live every single day of our life. You know the story But early on in my life, I didn't make that choice. Before I met Robin, my young adulthood, making decisions that were ungodly, surrounding myself with ungodly people, not in God's Word, not in prayer, not a part of a church. And I grieve that time in my life every single day that I wasted not in the presence of God. I long to have that back. And I was reminded as I came back to God that if I'm, if I'm absent of joy, that must mean I'm distant from God. If I'm absent from joy, it must mean that I'm distant from God. David, depending on your translation of the Bible, reminds us that there is one lasting ple- pleasure that is securely positioned at the right hand of God, and his name is Jesus. And so for each and every one of us this morning, I want to encourage you, I want to challenge you, I want to invite you to the throne of God to realize, you know what, joy isn't found in myself. Joy isn't found in the people that I surround myself with necessarily. It's not found in material possessions, but church, joy is found in the presence of God. And every single day, our our plan should be when we put our feet on the ground, is to live in such a way that we give Him the accolades that's due Him in life that we live in such a way through our actions and our words that it screams we're so excited to be in the presence of an almighty God. He has done so much for us, has he not? He sent his son to die for each and every one of us. He loves us that much. He's not only my God, but he is my Jehovah and my Adonai. That is the prayer for each and every one of us today. I'm going to invite our shepherds and their wives to gather along the wall of this room as we sing this next song. My my guess is that there are some of us here in this room who've got an anxious bottleneck going on in our life. And I want to encourage you as we sing this song to go find one of those shepherd couples. Let them pray for you and over you. That you would release that anxiety, that worry, and invite the joy of God into your own life. That you would release that. Some of us here have never said yes to God. We've never said yes to Jesus Christ, and the invitation exists right now for you to do that very thing, to be baptized into his name and take him on as your Lord and Savior, and to begin the journey of blessing that only he can give you. I want to encourage you. I know that uh, after service this morning, we already have a baptism lined up, so I hope you'll join us uh, here as we watch that on screen, and then welcome our new brother in Christ uh, here in just a little bit. But with one voice, let's stand as the family of God and praise his holy name.